this moment, if you guys can open up to the book of John, chapter 5. John chapter 5 is where we'll be. Some of you guys um, totally welcome, you know, Bible apps nowadays. I used to be anti-Bible app, but I just realized, I mean, you guys carry a Bible with you wherever you go, so might as well use it. So John chapter 5, if you're like, I don't have a Bible, you have a phone, app store, you know, Google store, whatever that is. Who uses Google? Okay, so um, this past week at Fish and Loaves, uh, which is one of our most like hands-on to the community uh, outreaches that we do, uh, I was able to share with this guy alongside one of our elders, Gary Roper, and, and we got to share with him the gospel, and you know, and, we're, and it was it was it was really a blessing. And but he said that you know he it had seemed that he had heard it before. I mean, he even believed that Jesus was the Messiah. It's a very bold statement, but interestingly, in that same, you know, time and along those same words, he, he said he didn't know if he was ready to give up his old life. See, my heart breaks in these moments because it makes you think, like, what do, we, what do we offer people? What are we inviting people to when we, when we invite them to Christ? Like, when, when people see our lives, can we see what we're offering them? Or when we use our words, when we actually use our words and share Jesus with people, do we know what we are saying, what we are inviting them to? Um, has anybody ever been self-deceived, like thinking you're right about something and maybe wrong? Okay, so all of us have at some point in time been self-deceived. Um, it's, it's very common actually. You can just look at anything in politics and you kind of see that. It's trending. Um, and... Uh, you know, I think there's these times where we think we're right about something, but maybe we're wrong. I mean, we're very convinced. Like maybe, you know, you know, like somebody says, like, oh, you've got a phone addiction, right? And you're like, no, I don't. And you're like, well, put it down. Well, what will that prove? You know, I'm not going to put down my phone, right? And it's just like, you know, maybe there might be some self-deception going on. Maybe you, uh, one of the many who maybe let themselves go a little bit during COVID, no judgment. And, uh, you know, and then you have your friend or maybe a spouse, like subtle hints like, hey, like maybe we should go running together, you know, or you're getting like the diet books for Christmas. You're like, what's going on? I'm fine. I'm fine, right? And you're like struggling to get into 2019's pants, like sucking it in, like I can do it. Um, there's this self-deception. We all, it happens to all of us. So I'm just um, creating common space. You know, I do it. Ask my wife. You know, she likes these moments. There's this moment that she loves um, when I, I'm, I'm so determined that I'm right in this. Totally self-deceived. And I'm wrong. And there's this moment that my self-deception just crumbles and I'm wrong and she's right. She's like, victory. And, um, but so but it's, a good, it's a good thing for me. Even though I don't like to be wrong, it's good for me because I'm no longer deceived. So as much as I don't like to be wrong, it's good for me in that moment that I am because I'm no longer deceived. And so that kind of deception, it creeps into relationships and it can kind of cause some friction. But there is a stronger form of deception that are leading people to death. A type of deception that's leading the masses into brokenness, anxiety, and despair, right? It, it sneaks through the media, right, our ads, our schools, the books we read, the movies we watch, but it becomes the air we breathe, and this air is toxic, and it's causing spiritual paralysis and ultimately death. And here's the thing. The same deception can also creep into the believer's life, which leads us to paralysis and blindness to things that are filling our soul with angst and anxiety. Jesus offers a type of healing that can free people 
from deception and lead them into life. A, a rest for the soul that only he can give. This is what we offer people. And so even though this healing that Jesus offers can lift self-deception, even as believers, we can struggle to partake in it. A rest that he wants to give, but still we can refuse. So what is this deception? What is this healing? Look down with me in John 5, verse 1. Let's check it out. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man who was there had been an invalid, a, a cripple, disabled for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been there for a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him and said, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is this man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that you have given us your word to guide and direct us. To heal us, to transform us, to give us a clear picture of who you are and who you've called us to be. And so we pray this morning that your spirit and your word would do a work in our hearts and that none of us would stay the same. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's lay the context of what's been happening in John. We've taken two weeks off, so just some recap, right? Jesus is beginning his ministry. He's called his disciples. He's telling Pharisees how to be born again. Uh, he's reaching out to, you know, this Gentile Samaritan woman, um, showing his followers the type of people he goes after and, and how to reach those far from God. Jesus, he's been teaching his disciples that he has come to do the will of the Father, right? And as he reaches the unreachable and heals the unhealable, performing miracles in the power of God, proclaiming to be the Messiah, the Son of God. And so what we see John the, what John the Apostle is doing here in the Gospel of John is he's wanting us to believe that we would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that we'd believe and we'd have life in his name. That is the purpose of the book of John. And so we're getting these beautiful pictures of who Jesus is, what he came to do, what, he's, what he wants to do in our lives and what that means for us as his followers. And so as we look into the passage today, we see that Jesus offers a healing that leads to life. But some go after the world's version of healing that leads to paralysis and death. See, the scene opens up with Jesus going to Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, there's this pool by the sheep gate, right, which is in, probably in reference to, you know, the sheep gate in Nehemiah. For all you Bible nerds, like, oh, is that the sheep gate in Nehemiah? Yes, it is. Um, and, and it's going to be in the northeast corner of, of, of Israel. And, and it's close to the temple. 
So at this pool um, of Bethesda, it says that there's this multitude of invalids, a crowd of cripples and disabled. And we're told that this multitude is made up of the blind, lame, and the paralyzed. I remember when uh, we were in Malawi, Africa one time um, on a mission trip. And there's this road there um, that the invalids of Malawi, the cripples, the disabled, they, they line up on this road knowing that Christian missionaries and foreign tourists would walk down. And so they would line the roads and they would ask for money. And it's hard because, you know, we knew these people were there, you know, and, and, but we had to go into this area and, 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 and get supplies. And, you know, they're, they're, a lot of their skin would be discolored. There would be sores all over their bodies. And you're just walking by and, and it's just hard not to have your heart break. They had bloody, bloody bandages all over their bodies, right. They were, they were disfigured, a lot of them. Some of them were missing limbs. So they would crawl over to you and, and then lift up the one good arm. I mean, it was a, it was a, a, a very, very devastating sight. And it was hard because you wanted to give them everything. You wanted to give them everything you had. But we knew that the money we had was going to go to feed this village that we were on our way to. And so your heart breaks in these moments because we could have spent our whole entire trip just ministering on this road. And so I can imagine in, in this picture in John 5, this pool, this multitude of wasting bodies. And as you glance around, you couldn't help but but see the, the, the sadness, the depression, that your eyes couldn't help but water up to the side of withered and wasted bodies. Right, then it would be this smell, this, this stench that causes your stomach to turn. The flies would be unbearable. You'd, be, you'd see the, this type of filth that would be all over the, the ground that would make your skin crawl. And you couldn't help but feel the suffering and weakness of humanity. The disfigured, paralyzed, lame. Blind, all laying by this pool, hoping for a miracle. Now, see, in some of your guys' Bibles, there's a verse 4, okay? I know you guys are like, some, hey, why did he skip verse 4, right? You're like, oh, what's going on here? Um, some of your Bibles are missing verse 4, and you didn't realize it until I just said that. Um, see, in verse 7, it says that this, this guy was saying, hey, I'm waiting for somebody to put me in the pool when it stirs. But, man, somebody's always jumping in before me, right? So we see that. Well, what is he, why is he trying to get into the pool? So, the v verse 4 kind of gives us uh, some context here, right? It goes on to explain that people believe that an angel would come down, stir the waters, and the first person in the water would be healed, right? And so the reason why some Bibles don't have it or maybe it's bracketed in your Bible is because some of our earliest manuscripts, our best, most trusted manuscripts, don't actually have that verse in them. Right, so a lot of, most of you guys' Bibles will have like a number or an asterisk saying, hey, these weren't actually in the oldest manuscripts. But it was added later that it would give us context to some locally believed traditions of the day. But nowhere in the Bible do we see of a report of an angel coming down and stirring the waters. Nowhere in Scripture, um, and, and most commentators believe that it was local folklore. And so you have this depressing sight, this crowd of people, the sick, those with undiagnosed diseases, those who were so feverish that they had to stay in the shade because of the heat of the sun was so unbearable. The sightless who would be huddled by the pool in hopes that, that someone would just lead them to the waters when it was stirred. The withered, the lame who couldn't make it to the pool on their own. Their only hope was to reach the water by crawling over those weaker than themselves. Desperately trying to be the first in the water to be healed, but it wasn't promised. 
and no biblical account of that actually happening. It was this worldly fable that was being believed on in hopes for healing, but it never actually delivered. A worldly narrative that deceived the masses. And what most people agree is that, that John is trying to show us a physical representation of the spiritual state of the world. See, the world offers a, a lot of stories of how to be healed from this inner unrest of every soul. The, the gnawing, the angst, this longing for something that can't be found in this world. There's this sickness that's been passed down through all of humanity called sin. This sin has caused havoc in our lives, havoc in our world. Because, see, we, we were made for God. Our, our, our souls were made for God to know him, to love him, to worship him. Right, we had spiritual sight so we could see him and know him. We walked with God in the garden. Right, we weren't blind, we weren't lame, we weren't paralyzed. We knew, saw, and walked with our God. But what happened was the first people that he created, they rebelled against him. They sinned against their heavenly father and king. Right, and instead of coming underneath his gracious and loving rule and reign, they said we want to live out from underneath that. We want to live for ourselves. We want to live for, for our own desires and pleasures. We want to do life on our own. We wanted to find good and evil for ourselves. And so they disobeyed and turned from God. This is called the original sin. And that sin fractured the cosmos. And what this sin did is it, it brought all the brokenness, disease and pain and hurt and infirmities into our world. All the brokenness in your life, spiritually and emotionally, can be traced back to some form of sin, whether done to you or done by you. And here's the thing, we don't like living in brokenness, no one does. So the world has come up with its own stories that if you lay by this pool, one day you will find healing. A healing that, you're, that you've heard about but you've never actually seen. And it's a pretty convincing story. You're like, man, look, look at how many other people are here. Right, and the world, it lays by these pools. Blind, lame, paralyzed, trying to cover up that, that state with whatever version of themselves they're projecting out on social media or to their co-workers. But inside they feel paralyzed. Or they, 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 they feel lame, like they're not going anywhere. And most of them don't even realize it, but they're blind to this sin that has separated them from the one who could actually heal them and give them rest. And so they then try to follow the storyline that the world feeds them. And then if you just get into this pool, right, if you, if you get into this pool, you'll find healing. If you get into the pool of maybe making enough money, getting rich, being, getting that successful job, attaining some level of status. If you just actually get there, you attain there, it will sometime, somehow heal you, heal that, that angst in you. They look around and they see the rest of the world there. Everyone else is trying to make money. Right, and they're all just talking about the healing they're going to get when they finally have enough of it. Being fed the same stories from the articles they read, the American dream that's being pitched to them, that's supposed to heal this broken feeling that they have. Some people are laying by the pool of a relationship. Like once I have this relationship, then everything will be healed. Or, or once my relationship gets to this place, if I just work on this relationship that I'm in right now, one day that hurt, that pain, that bitterness in my soul will be healed. And so from person to person they jump or, or they're with this person but they realize, man, like there's still some things under the surface that haven't been met. And so we make these, this person into our Savior and our Messiah but they don't actually satisfy the longing of our souls because they were never intended to. So we wait by this pool, disgruntled, feeling emotionally paralyzed. 
one of the biggest pools that people go to for healing is the pool of pleasure, right, where they, where they try to find it in getting drunk every night or on the weekends, getting high, the pleasure that comes from the hours that we spend on our screens and devices, our video games, our entertainment, right, the sexual outlets we run to that leave us feeling like cripples lying in our own filth. Some of these things are just horrible for you. They were never meant, to, never meant to be the place where you found your healing. Some of these things aren't horrible for you, but we're running to them for a healing where they weren't meant to be that source. Another big pool is the pool of acceptance and affirmation. Like if I could just get to this place, if I could just prove myself to the world, if I could just get to this place where people could see that I'm actually worth something, if I could attain and earn and, and get to this place where I'm celebrated and accepted, then that feeling that I'm not worthy might go away, and, and, and they're waiting for that opportunity to jump into the pool, climbing over whatever or whoever they need to get there. And so there's, there's these narratives, and there's a lot more out there. Right? The world tries to feed you, and if you go to this, you can be healed. This is the deception, the deception that keeps the world blind, paralyzed, and apart from God because they believe in these worldly fables that never actually deliver. And though some of these pools will provide temporary medication, they don't actually heal. And so here we're back in this passage in John 5. We have the paralyzed, the broken, the lame, lying there, withering away, waiting for this promise that will never actually be, de be delivered, desperate to be restored. And who comes on to the scene? Who comes to this wretched, foul place that no upstanding citizen would ever go? Jesus. This is where Jesus goes. Right? These are the places that Jesus go to. These are the people that Jesus goes to. This is Jesus who is the word. Right? Who, the word who was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. The glory of the eternal God in Christ. This is God. The God of heaven and earth has come to show us what he is like. John is saying, look, behold your God, Jesus. Do we see him going to the broken and to the needy and to the hurt? This is our Jesus. He was going to this pool the same way he went to the disdained Samaria to find the immoral woman that nobody would talk to in that town. But he goes to the people here by this pool, the people that no person would ever want to be by. And Jesus moves toward them, toward need, not comfort. Toward the brokenhearted sinners, not self-righteousness. Jesus enters into this place of sickness and suffering, not affected by the stench that would keep most people away. The moans and the grumbles would be echoing around as the purposed Messiah would be walking through the filth all over the ground. And then he stands there unnoticed, his tender eyes surveying the suffering around the pool until finally his gaze rests on one of the worst cases there. A man who had been confined to his bed for 38 years. He had never been able to reach the pool in time. So he thought, I don't know about you, but 38 years, that's a long time. Like, I don't know how much hope you would have left after laying there for 38 years. The amount of times that you've, you've heard false promises. Hey, well, next time it stirs, well, I'll help you in there. But no one ever followed through. Being pushed aside and forgotten for 38 years. He'd probably been pretty used to being paralyzed and lame. That he'd probably settled into this lifestyle. He'd gotten used to this. This was life for him. Self-deceived that maybe one day he'll get put into the pool but have settled for living in that state. 
Do you know people like this? Is this you? Have you settled for a broken life? And you're used to it. And you see Jesus pass you by today and he asks this man and he asks anyone in this room, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed from the sin that separates you from God? See, our sin is the greatest disease that keeps us from any true rest or healing that God offers in Jesus Christ. Right, the healing and the rest that our soul needs can only be found by being forgiven of our sins and restored back into relationship with God. Where God lives with you. Like you get to live with Jesus. His presence comes and you, and you get to have communion with the Father. You're given a new heart and a new mind, a new spirit. He breathes new life into you. And then he sets you into the community of people who love him and love you. And there's just this continued healing that happens as we, as we trust him and walk with him day by day. So Jesus looks at this man who's sitting there, right, probably hasn't bathed, dirty, broken, hopeless, and Jesus comes to him. And see, maybe, maybe you haven't showered today, and that's okay, no judgment here. But there's some of us who feel this way inside. You feel dirty, you feel broken, you feel hopeless. This passage wants to show us a picture of our God, Jesus. Here, here we have this man who had no way of getting to Jesus. Jesus entered into this place, comes into his mess, his compassionate eyes, seeing his condition. And he goes to him and says, do you want to be healed? And he heals him. Jesus has the power to heal. He has the power to make you well today. See, Jesus initiates our healing and our salvation. He comes to us. And we might have all these excuses. Well, there's, there's no one who can get me into the pool. And Jesus is like, no, 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 forget the pool. I'm here now. He knows that won't work. But he works. He's God. He can heal. He can make you new. He can bring salvation. He can forgive you. Only Jesus can do that in your life. And so if you haven't trusted in Jesus Christ, if you haven't received the gift of forgiveness of your sins, if you haven't been restored back into a relationship with God, Jesus is asking you today, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be made well? Here's the truth. The Bible says that everybody has sinned and rebelled against God. But God in his grace and his mercy sent Jesus to live the life that we couldn't live, to die the death that we deserved on our behalf. And he rose again, defeating death and sin and Satan. And anybody who turns from their sin and turns to Jesus and trusts in him will be saved, will be healed. Have you done that? The word says that only the Father, God the Father, can draw people into the Son. Meaning only God can bring people to a place where they place their trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. As their forgiver of their sins, as the restorer of their souls. So if you haven't done that and you're here, that is God drawing you here. It is not by chance. And I want to encourage you to turn from your sin and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I am praying that you do that today. But here's the thing. As much as this applies to those who maybe haven't surrendered to Jesus, this passage is also for us believers who maybe are self-deceived. See, because Jesus offers us continued healing. He offers us continued healing. But sometimes we don't want to be healed Verse 6 says, when Jesus saw him, look down with me, sorry. Verse 6 says, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred. 
And while I'm going, another one steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once this man was healed. He took up his bed and walked. Does anybody here struggle with making excuses? Right, I think it's something that some people are really good at. Like there's some people who, like you're a genius. Like you're an excuse factory. Like you know how to get out of almost anything, whether it's your boss or your friends or your family members. My kids think they're geniuses. It's really funny. Um, you know, they think like they, they're the best excuses in the world. And they're, they're very basic. And you're like, it's not that good of an excuse, you know. And so like, hey, you know, um, you know go, uh, go take a shower. And they're like, no, no, we don't need to. Like, what? Like, yeah, we took one yesterday. No, 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 you're, you're dirty. You know, you stink, you need a shower, right? No, we took one yesterday. I was like, that's not a good excuse, bud. You know, like, you need to take a shower. Um, we'll be like, you know, basic, like, hey, go to bed. Simple. Uh, and uh, my youngest one, it's funny, he'll go like, well, dad, I don't even sleep. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, I don't even sleep. Like, I stay up all night anyways. I'm like, okay, well, what do you do all night? He's like, I go to my secret underground lab. Oh, yeah, totally. Oh, I get it. Yeah, you know what? In that case, right? No, like, so you, you hear these excuses. They're great. We hear them all the time. Spouses give their spouse excuses, right, like why they forgot to take out the trash or why it's not their turn to do the dishes or why it's not their turn to grab the crying baby, right? Um, the typical excuses that students give their teachers when they don't do their homework. Like, you know, the dog excuse, we know that one, I lost it. Um, or the up and coming, my Wi-Fi was down, huh, right, it's a new one, right. And so, see, I'm still in school, like, I'm, I'm, and so if you actually went back into my email history, you would see many <laughs> reasons to my professors uh, why I'm turning in late work. So I understand your plight. And I feel bad for bosses in the room because you guys probably hear the most <laughs> excuses, the craziest excuses ever. Well, here's this, we're so bad that someone literally made an app. There's an app out there to help you with excuses. So, um, and uh, it's funny because there's like, there's categories, work, family, random. Go check it out. Just don't use it on me, right? But people are like, oh, man, like, you know, th we need help with excuses. And they're uh, banking off of that. Here's this scene. This man has been paralyzed for 38 years. He's settled in his ways. He's hopeless. And Jesus walks up and asks, do you want to be made well? And he gives an excuse. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for healing is rafa, right, which describes a process of restoration to a state of well-being or wholeness, right, a, a, a process of restoration to a place of wholeness. In the Old Testament, God's people would call him Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals, right. And so here we have Jehovah Rapha in the flesh asking this man, do you want to be made well? And this man looks up unknowingly into the face of his God and he gives him an excuse. Sir, every time I try to go into the pool, some other dude just jumps in front of me like, I just, I got, I can't do it. Right? He, he gives an excuse. How many excuses have I given to the Lord? For me? Countless. And here's the tragic thing. I wish it was only unbelievers who fell for the deception of worldly healing but see, we can be just as self-deceived. The sad thing is, is that not only have I experienced it, but I've seen it time and time again where, where believers go and they lay back down by the pool. They lay out their mat and they crawl back down by the pool. I don't know when it happens or how it happens for us, but at some point in time what happens is, is we'll get healed, we'll have new life, but, but there's areas that we don't fully surrender to Jesus. Right, we'll receive forgiveness, we'll make Jesus our Lord, but there's areas that we still hold on to and that we have fully yet to release to Jesus. And, and it's these areas that, that kind of cause this ongoing unsettledness 
right, angst in the believer's life as well. There's this uh, other Hebrew word, one that's a little bit more common. You guys might know it. It's called shalom, right? Most of us have heard that, um, which means peace, right? Or like peace be with you or peace to you, right? And, but it's also a, um, commonly known um, as a state of wholeness that results from an act of healing or restoration, right? It's a, it's, it's a state, shalom is a state of wholeness that results from an act of healing or restoration, and you see, there's this state of shalom, this wholeness that comes from being healed by Jesus. Right? We were apart from him, but now we've been made one with him. We were apart, but we've been made whole, right? We're, we've been reunited and restored back into a relationship with God. So we are spiritually whole. We have access to that. And this state of wholeness, it brings a sense of peace in our lives because our souls have rested in God. Right? We find the healing and rest that Jesus brings, right? And so here's the thing. If we're not experiencing the ongoing healing and wholeness of Jesus in our lives, it probably means we're trying to find rest and healing somewhere else. Somewhere else. So what happens is, is we look to the world, right? We look to everybody laying by the pools and we're like, hey, shouldn't we be doing that? Like, I mean, it sounds kind of good. It looks really alluring. And man, let's, let's go see what those pools have to offer. But here's the thing. We're not blind anymore. And we know those without Jesus are blind. They're deceived and they're going after things that we know, you know, won't do it. But see, here's the thing is we actually can be self-deceived and follow the same narratives of the world and run to the things that actually don't work. I mean, in this story, it would be crazy if Jesus' disciples rolled in after all of this, right? And they're like, hey, look at these guys. Hey, let's go be like them. They just grabbed their mats and all of Jesus' disciples went and they rolled down their mats by all these, you know, lame guys and just laying by the pool. It's like, man, let's just hope some angel just comes and stirs the pool and then I'm going to beat you there. Right? And so it's like, I mean, we'd be like, if that happened in the story, we'd be like, you guys are, what are you guys doing? Like, we'd think the disciples are crazy. Like, you already have Jesus. You're walking with the healer. You're walking with Jehovah Rapha. Why are you waiting for some mysterious stirring of a pool that's never going to come? Like, you belong to Jesus. But see, we do the same thing when we run to the world for healing instead of Jesus. We can do the same thing when we go to God with our excuses. He's like, do you want to be made well? And then and we give him an excuse and we go back to the pool. Do you want to be made well? Do you want to be made well? That, that issue that you're having with, with money and security and worldly comfort, not trusting me, do you want to be made well? Well, no, 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 you don't understand, God. Like, I need to have more money. Like, I need more things. Like, I need a bigger retirement. I need more security. Like, you don't understand my situation, God. Like, I need that that raise, like I need to accrue wealth because, man, the, the economy is going. Like, like, God, don't you understand? And, and the God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, who's bringing his kingdom into this world, who's going to places where there is no gospel presence, who's bringing help and healing to those in need. He's literally restoring and redeeming humanity and this whole world back to himself. And he's just listening to our excuses about needing to build our kingdom, right, our excuses about needing to, to you know, have enough money and, and, and security to provide for this vapor of a life. While he's building an eternal kingdom. And these things, they, they, they take us away from our true calling, right? To follow him, to trust him, to build his kingdom, to live for his glory around the world. And he hears our excuses and we go lay back down by the pool. We give him excuses about the relationship that we really want to be in. He's like, do you really want to be made well from that relationship? Like, do you really want to trust my timing and the way that I say to go about relationships? Or are you just going to keep doing it your way? 
no, but you don't understand. He's so cute, right? Or like, oh, she's an amazing girl. We both like watching The Office together. So it's like, you know, totally worth it. Right? We, we, we give God these excuses. You go to Jesus and you say, Jesus, you just don't know how lonely I am. You don't understand. He doesn't? He doesn't understand our loneliness? The word says that when he went to the cross for the very first time in his existence, he was cut off from the Father. Perfectly knowing and being in communion and fellowship with the Father for the first time, he, he wasn't. And he screamed, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? He was abandoned by his disciples. The whole world turned its back on him while he was being crucified for the sins of the world. See, your Lord and Savior knows loneliness in a way we will never understand. He was lonely on our behalf on the cross so we would never have to be lonely again. He gives us himself. He gives us his spirit. He is there. Lord, would you awaken our spirits to understand that you are there. See, we are living in a generation they say is lonelier than ever before. And they're going to things that they think will heal themselves, but it's not working. And it's only getting worse. And we have the solution. His name is Jesus Christ. Who says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And who will always be with us. See, the Lord understands our loneliness. He understands relationships. And wherever you're at today, he's saying, go to him. Trust in him. Trust his ways. Don't go back and lay down by the pool. We go after the pool of pleasure, right? We, this is probably the, one of the most common ones, right? We got our excuses. Lord, I'm hurting. I need this. Lord, I'm tired. Lord, just this once. Lord, just a little bit. Lord, I'm going to get help in this area of my life. Lord, I, I'm going to tell somebody, just, just not now. Lord, like, I, I just don't know how to stop. God, it's hard. But he can do it. But you need to let him. See, so we need to trust in the ways he says to overcome sin and temptation in our life. And we need to bring it to the light. We need to get accountable. We need to be real with people in our lives. So the real question is this, do you want to be made well? Do you really want to be made well? Or have you been in this state for so long that you're comfortable, you're used to being paralyzed in this area of your life and you're just self-medicating? Daily medicating that disorients your desires, that hinders your relationship with God. Of course, this man who's been lame for 38 years, of course he wanted to be healed. What kind of question is that, Jesus? Of course he wants to be healed. But see, Jesus was challenging more his will than his desire. Do you really want to be made well? We go to these things to self-medicate because do we actually want to take the steps? Do we actually want to pick up our mat and walk these steps where true healing is experienced? Think about this. If the man were to never get up, he would have never experienced his healing. He could have been healed. His legs could have strengthened. His, his bones could have been mended. And he could have had the ability to walk. But if he didn't actually ever get up and walk, he would have never experienced the healing that Jesus performed in his life. There's the internal, eternal healing of our souls and being cleansed, given a new heart. But there's this continued healing that comes from putting our faith and trust in him. Obeying when he says, walk, we walk. Right? Obeying when he says, don't do those things. They're going to hurt you. They're going to bring you harm. And obeying him when he says to go and do these things that actually promote health and healing in our lives. 
It's easy to abuse the bottle. It's easy to take another hit. It's easy to go on your phone and indulge in whatever form of pleasure that you run to to self-medicate. Whatever issues you're going through, it's easy to zone out for hours on whatever screen entertainment that you give yourself over to. And I'm not saying that I'm not going to binge watch Stranger Things season 5 and I'm not going to go see Avatar 2 like 10 times in theaters. I'm saying is your life mode to run to things to self-medicate these issues that are under the surface of our lives? Because guess what? Most of us do that, do this, right? God has shown me how I do this. And today this passage is a reminder that we walk with the healer. We walk with Jesus. We can go to him, that there's greater healing to be had. We can pray to him. We can have people pray for us. We can open his word and ask him, to show, Lord, show me how to pick up my mat and walk. There are a lot of gifts that God has given us that we can enjoy in his presence for his glory, hobbies, favorite pastimes. But when we start to go to these things to self-medicate instead of turning to God to be our healer, that's when things start to go awry. There are other things that are obviously bad for us, but medicate in the moment. Right? Do, you, do you want to be made well from these things? Do you want to be made well from your porn addiction? Like, are you actually willing to take the steps, the accountability that's needed, bringing it to the light? Are you willing to do what it takes to be healed? Do you want to be made well from your alcohol addiction? Or are you comfortable? You're comfortable, you're used to it. Do you want to be made well from your shopping addiction or your social media addiction or your comparison addiction? Do you want to be made well from, from your bitterness or from your anger or from being prone to gossip? Do you, do you really want to be made well from whatever? Whatever it is for you. Because it's going to take you to trust Jesus that he has something better on the other side of your obedience. Taking proactive steps towards holiness, not just staying in neutral in sin management. But it, it takes some walking, some walking to fully experience our healing. He'll do the internal stuff, but we need to get up and walk it out. See, I love it in, in, in verse 14, right, Jesus isn't done with this guy. He says, okay, get up, pick up your mat, walk, right, he heals him, but he's not done. He goes and he finds this guy later on. So in, check down with me in verse 14, it says, afterward Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see you are well, sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. See, Jesus goes to him afterward knowing that he needed an exhortation given to his heart. Almost this understanding that our, even after our initial healing, we can maybe be prone to go back to the sin in our lives. And see, the ultimate goal in physical healing isn't for healing's sake, but that we would go and sin no more. That we would not go after the things the world goes after. The lies and the deception that we've been saved from. Romans 8 said, if you're a believer, that, that you have been predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. Like that is your destiny, like to be predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus. Ephesians says that, that we've been chosen before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him. That our choosing, that our being chosen by God, that our being brought to him, that our being saved is, is for holiness. You see, it's, it's in holiness that we find our wholeness. Being made like Jesus, growing in holiness. There's this, there's this shalom to be found in the holiness that Jesus is calling us into. Jesus is like, man, I'm down to heal you physically, but don't abuse the gift of God and continue to sin. See, Jesus' ultimate goal in our life is to make us more like him. Right, Jesus is not only after our eternal healing to heaven, but our continued healing and holiness. 
right, the initial healing of our souls to salvation, but then there's this ongoing healing, let's just call it sanctification, that happens in our life as we progressively say no to sin and yes to God. Do you want to experience healing from your bitterness? Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Do you want to experience healing from your self-centeredness? Love your neighbor as yourself. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. You want healing from your worry. Look at the birds of the air, for they do not sow nor reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. Be, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. Check this out. In Christ Jesus. Healing from a sin that's lingering in your life. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. See, this, we've, been, we've been put into the community of Christ. There is healing found in the community of Christ. See, check this out. The most common way for a believer to be deceived is in isolation. God uses other believers in our lives to apply the gospel and his truth to our lives where ongoing healing happens, where we get to pray for one another. See, we will experience healing in our lives when we take his truths and apply them to our lives. A daily opening up of his word, letting it sink down into our heart, praying to him, spending time with his people who he'll use. Do you want to be healed? Then we need to trust Jesus. See, it's only in trusting Jesus that we can be healed. Because you can't do it yourself. Only Jesus can. Look down with me, verse 9, second part of verse 9. Now that day was the Sabbath, so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is this man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn because there was a crowd. Verse 15, the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who healed him. And this was why they were persecuting him, because he was performing these things on the Sabbath. Okay, so Jesus is coming and he's healing and he's, he's showing himself to be this great healer. And in the middle of all this, there's this conflict about Jesus healing on the Sabbath. Right, so... so you're probably asking yourself, okay, what does this healing on the Sabbath have to do with what God is sharing with us today? Or what is Jesus and the Pharisees and all of that, what does it have to do with the healing that we need? See, here's the thing. The Pharisees were just like the blind men laying by the pool. Jesus has actually called the Pharisees blind multiple times throughout the gospel as they could not recognize the working of God right before them and they missed the heart of God in the law. Instead of knowing God in a relationship, they went to religion, they went to rules and seeking healing and rest in their religious performance. And so you got to picture this scene. They're all standing together in like an alley and they're all grumbling and talking about this guy who's proclaiming to me the Messiah and he went into our temple and turned all the tables and they're just in a bad mood already. And then they see this guy who has the audacity to carry his mat on the Sabbath. And so, of course, one of them, instead of marveling at the fact this guy has been healed from a 38-year um, diagnosis, he's like, hey, like, you're not supposed to carry your mat on the Sabbath and they're getting all crazy over here. And what we see is that they were blind to the working of God. 
that when God came in and he restored this man to wholeness, verse 16 says, at that moment, right, they started to persecute Jesus because he healed on the Sabbath. See, here's this turning point in the book of John, right, where we're going to see the Pharisees become more and more aggressive towards Jesus who's claiming equality with God and performing and doing all these things as miracles and showing his power. And the Pharisees didn't like it because it flew in the face of their idea that, that rest and healing is found in their religious accomplishments. Right, the Pharisees have added a bunch of rules and laws to, the, to God's law and, then, and then, then trying to accomplish that on their own. And that's where they were kind of finding this, this sense of peace. So I, I obeyed all the rules that we made up. Right, they rested in their own performance of the law instead of resting in the God who gave them the law. And see, inside each one of us, there's this inclination to find rest in our ability to form, perform. Right, rest and healing in our own way, in our own power. For the Pharisees, they laid by the pool of religious performance, self-reliance, and achievements. Anyone struggle with that? Finding our rest in our achievements and our ability to accomplish certain things. Rest in our religious performance. So we have these Pharisees blind to Jesus, spiritually lame, in need of healing, beginning to persecute Jesus, right? And the Pharisees said that Jesus' working breaks the Sabbath. But Jesus said, no, my working creates the Sabbath. See, he is giving this lame man the cosmic rest that his soul desperately needed. The rest that the weekly Sabbath points to. And this is the healing we need. The healing that is only found when we put our rest in Jesus. See, the whole gospel is that you can't do it. We can't do it. We're not able to save ourselves from our sins, pay for our own mess, heal ourselves, work our way into God's good graces. We couldn't do it, so Jesus did. See, blind, lame, and paralyzed man, they can't get up onto the cross. So the great physician did for them. See, it's interesting that, that the word Bethesda actually means house of mercy because it is here that we see the mercy of God on display. That Jesus went to this cripple who had no ability to get to him. He comes into this world and he sees everyone laying by these pools of deception and he goes to them. And he says, do you want to be made well? Do you want to be healed? You can't get to me, so I have come to you. This is the grace and mercy of God. Or we need to understand that his grace and his love came before our ability to change. Because our ability to, to change comes from his grace and his love. Right? It comes before our ability to get up and walk. His grace always proceeds and empowers change. See, this is what's going on in verse 14 when he says, hey, go and sin no more. Right? Saying, sin no more. Stop sinning. My aim at healing your body is the healing of your soul. I've given you a gift. It's free. It came first before my command. You didn't earn it. You weren't good enough for it. I chose you freely and I've healed you. Now in this power, live. Let the gift of this healing, this gift of my free grace be a means to your holiness. See, he's given us his spirit and the power to see deception in the world. To go to Jesus for healing, to obey his commands as we apply this healing to our lives. See, if you don't want to struggle with anxiety and have a restless soul like the world, stop laying by the pools and believing the stories the world feeds you. Stop self-medicating the same way the world does and instead turn to the one who's redeemed you. Who's redeemed your soul and he offers you daily renewal by his word, by his spirit and by his people. See, we see in this passage that on the Sabbath, the creator of rest comes and he says, let me give you a rest to your soul. Let me heal you in the deepest way possible and then follow me in the way that I go. And you will know and see healing saturate every area of your life as you trust me, follow me, and obey me. 
See, if you're a believer and you're laying by the pools of this world, Jesus comes to you and says, no, 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 we've been here before. I already healed you. Why are you laying by the pool? Get up. Why are you, why are you still by the pool? Get up and walk in the newness of life. Some of us today will pick up our mat for the first time, receiving fresh forgiveness, a renewed spirit of life, a new heart. For the very first time, you're hearing Jesus say, pick up your mat, get up and walk. You've been healed, you've been forgiven. You've been given his righteousness. His life, death and resurrection has been applied to you. Get up and walk. See, we find our rest in what Jesus has accomplished for us in the cross. It's, we experience his rest through his presence in our daily lives. This is where we find healing. This is the healing we need. The prophet Isaiah said, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds we are healed. When we meditate on the gospel and what Jesus has done for us, it moves us to trust him more and experience this healing we need. See, God wants to do a healing work in each one of our lives today. So where do you need to surrender? What do you need to turn from? Where do you need to trust Jesus more in your life? See, our God is a God who heals. Our God is a God who hears us, who cares about our lives and is calling us deeper into relationship with him that we would go and be his ambassadors of healing to this world. You see this picture of the cripples laying by the pool waiting for this miracle that's never going to happen. See, that's our world. That's our workplaces. That's our neighborhoods. That's our community. And we have the good news of Jesus and we got to be reminded today that we've been covered in Christ. We have access to this continued healing in our lives. This is what we have to offer people, the healing and transforming reality of a relationship with Jesus. That we have to, to, to go to our neighbors and share this truth and reality that's available to them. And so today we're not only reminded of the healing that we have available to us, but that we are also vessels and vehicles of his healing to the world. The light of the world, the sweet aroma of Christ, walking in the power of the spirit to seek and save that which is lost. To see the healing power of God come into every area of our lives. And yes, remember today to receive the healing that's being offered to you because we all need it. Amen? Where we all need his healing power. But then let us be vessels and beacons of hope and light and healing as we continue to trust Jesus with our lives more and more every day. And share that with the world. Amen?